0: chapter ten of cradock knoll a tale of the new forest volume one by richard doddridge blackmore this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter ten the scenery of the new forest is of infinite variety but the wooded parts may be ranged perhaps in a free loose branching order as befits the subject into some three divisions which cross and interlace each other as the trees themselves do first and most lovely the glades and reaches of gentle park and meadow where the beech tree invades not seriously or at any rate not with discipline but straggles about like a tall centurion amused by ancient britons here are the openings winged with fern and ruffling to the west wind and the crimped oval leaves of the alder rustle over the backs of the bathing cows in and out we glance or gaze through the groined arcades of trees where the sun goes wandering softly as if with his hand before his eyes of such kind is the queen's bower wood beside the boulder water of the second type most grand and solemn is the tall beech forest Darkening the brow of some lonely hill and draping the bosomed valleys, such is Mark Ashwood, four miles to the west of Lyndhurst. Overhead is the vast cool canopy, underfoot, the soft brown carpet woven by a thousand autumns. No puny underwood foils the gaze, no coppice whispers circulate on high there moves one long unbroken and mysterious murmur and all below grey twilight broods in a lake of silent shadow through this the ancient columns rising smooth dove-coloured or glimpsed with moss others fluted crannied bulging halt at the reavings of some great limb others twisted spirally and tortuously rooting a thousand Giants receding clustering opening lattice peeps between them standing forth to stop the view or glancing some busy slant of light in the massive depth of gloom they seem almost to glide the third and most rudely sylvan form is that of the enclosures where the intolerant beech is absent and the oak the spruce and the spanish chestnut protect the hazel the fern and bramble the dog-rose and the honeysuckle In a bowering gleaming twinkling Valley such as I have first described We saw miss Amy Rosedew admiring her own perfections And now some three months afterwards a certain young lady not wholly unlike her is Roaming in a deep enclosure thick with oaks and underwood It lies about a furlong from the western lodge of Noelhurst and stretches away towards the sunset Far from the eye of house or hut. Even the lonely peat man who camps, or camped while so allowed, beneath the open sky, wherever the waste fields labor freely, and no prescription bars him, even he finds nothing here to draw his sauntering footstep. The gorse prefers more open places, the nuts are few and hard to reach, the fuel turf is not worth cutting and the fuel wood he dare not hew. in short there is nothing there to tempt him as for shade and solitude and the crystal rill he gets a to deal too much of that sort of thing already By the side of that crystal rill and where the trees hung thickest in the gray gloom of that Michaelmas evening walked the aforesaid maiden and What we had not bargained for a gentle youth beside her? The light between the lapping boughs and leaves, whose summer whisper grew hoarse in autumn's rustle, the clouded light fell cheerily, but showed the figures comely, as either could wish of the other. The maiden's face was turned away, but one hand lay in her lover's. With the other, she was drawing close the loose folds of her mantle. Her flushing cheek was glad of shade, and the grass thought her feet were trembling. His eager glistening wavering eyes told of hope with fear behind it and all his life was waiting for a word or look But for the moment neither came She trembled more and more before him and withdrew a little as the silver weed at her feet withdrew from the runnels passion She thought he would yet say more she longed for him to say more and that her heart would be quiet but never another word he said till she turned to him sadly and proudly with her soft eyes full of tears Mr.. Noel you are very eloquent, but you do not know what love is She lifted her left hand towards her heart But was too proud to put it there and dropped it hiding the movement I Not know what love is and I have been saying things I should have laughed at any fellow for saying, though I am fit to cry while I say them. Oh, how cold-blooded you are! For I cannot make you feel them. He looked at her so ardently that her sweet gaze fell like a violet in the May sun. No, Mr. Clayton Nowell, I am not cold-blooded, but at least my blood is pure, though not in the eyes of the world so high and refined as your own. What has that got to do with it my own own own? He was in a great hurry to embrace her because she looked at him tenderly to palliate the toss of her head Wait if you please throughout all your rhapsody here She smiled so that none could be angry you have not said a single word to show whether that is I mean to say whether. She burst into tears turned from him and clung to the dead arm of the old oak. Whether what? asked Clayton sharply, in spite of her deep distress, for he began to doubt if he truly were loved, and to tire of the high-strung suspense. Whether I have got money enough to support us both respectably? Isn't that the proper word for it? And because I am the younger son? He frowned very hard at the bark of the oak and crushed the gray touchwood under his foot though his hand was still seeking for hers then she turned full upon him suddenly too proud to dissemble her tears oh clayton clayton noel can you think me so mean as that though my father would cast me off perhaps in his gratitude to sir cradock do you think i would care for all the world so long as i only had you what i meant was only that you never said if you meant me to be to be your wife Her long lashes fell on her glistening cheeks like the willow leaves over the Avon Why what well that beats cockfighting why what else did you suppose? I meant you darling of all-born darlings. I'm sure I don't know Clayton only I beg your pardon he gave her no time to beg it twice With those wistful eyes upon him, but made her earn it thoroughly with her round arms on his neck and other proceedings Wherewithal we have no right to meddle Yes, you may call me now your own Ever so many interruptions your own yours only for ever And you would rather have me than my elder brother sooner than a thousand elder brothers all as grave as methuselah clayton was so delighted hereat that he really longed to squeeze her although it is a thing which young ladies nowadays never think of allowing let them hope that he did not do it the probabilities are in their favour oh clayton how can i be such a simpleton what would my father say to me what do i care my gem my jewel my warm delicious pearl for three long months i have been dying to kiss you and now i won't be cheated so surely you are not afraid of me my beautiful wild rose her gardening hat had fallen off her eyes were bright with tears and the glow upon her cheeks had faded to a pellucid gleam so have i seen the rich red aurora weep itself in a pulse throb to a pearly and waxen pink No clayton i am not afraid of you. I know that you are a gentleman Well thought clayton she must be a witch or the cleverest girl in the universe as well as the most beautiful She knows the way to manage me as if we had been married fifty years he looked so disconcerted at the implied rebuke that she could have found it in her sweet heart to give him fifty kisses But with all her warmth of passion she was a pure and sensitive maiden full of self-respect Though abashed for the moment and bowing her head to the sunrise of young affection She possessed a fine and very sensible will and way of her own she was just the wife for clayton Nowell, a hot Impulsive, wayward youth, proud to be praised by every one, more than proud of deserving it. With such a wife, he would ripen and stiffen into a fine, full character. With a weak and volatile spouse, he would swing to and fro to his ruin. His goodness as yet was in the material, only a soft, firm hand could fashion it. So she kept him at his distance except every now and then when her warm loving nature looked forth from her eyes for fear of hurting his feelings Hand in hand they walked along as if they still were children and held much counsel as they went about the difficulties between them But happen what would they made up their minds about one thing and for them henceforth both plural and singular were entirely merged in the duel that sentence is priggish and pedantic, but I think young lovers can solve it. If not, let them put their heads together and unriddle it in labiates. Nothing ever, ever, ever in the world of fact or in the reach of imagination should hold apart that faithful pair whose all in all was to each the other. This they settled with much satisfaction before discussing anything else. Except of course you know darling said the more thoughtful maiden if either of us should die Clayton shuddered at the idea for it was a dark place of the wood and the rustle of the ivy-leaves seemed to whisper die Then he insisted upon his amends for such a nasty suggestion And she with the tender thought moving her heart could not refuse strict justice And so you say love I must stay at Oxford until I take my degree what a long time it does seem doesn't it? Never mind dearest how long it is if we are true to one another. Oh That of course, there's no doubt about and you think I must tell my father Of course you must Clayton we are not very old you know he will think that he can part us and that may make him less angry Here she laughed at her own subtlety and Putting that out of the question neither of us could bear to be deceiving him so long After all you are but a younger son and I am a lady I hope I have been thoroughly Educated and there is nothing but money against me She looked so proud in the shade of the spruce that he was obliged to stop and admire her At least he thought it his duty to do so and the opinion did not offend her but what will your brother Craddock say he is so different from you so odd so determined and upright I Don't care that for what he says Only he had better be civil He treated me very badly that time about the island. I have a very great regard for Craddock He is a very decent fellow, but I must teach him his proper place And you can beat him easily in Latin my father says you can what a shame that he would not go in for the Hartford that you might turn the tables upon him He would not even have got a proxy or whatever it was he gave you. I Don't know that said Clayton who was truthful in spite of vanity Very likely he would have beaten me, but I have cut him out in two things For I can't help thinking that he has a hankering after you He looked at her with a keen shrewd glance for he was desperately jealous she saw it and smiled and only said would you believe that he could help it? but it happens that I know otherwise oh Then you would have had him if you could now clayton don't be childish in your heart. You know better Of course he did a great deal better Then there was that to make up again because she looked so hurt and so charming but we can't stop here all day or follow all these little doings even if honor allowed us and Another thing not so important though. I have cut him out in most decidedly said Clayton lifting his head again The governor likes me long chalks better than he does Craddock. I can tell you No doubt of it. I should say dear, but I don't think you ought to talk of it No only to you no secret from one's wife you know but you won't tell your father yet till I've opened upon Sir Craddock Why not I intend to tell him directly I get home and one thing is certain Clayton he will be more angry than yours will Clayton found it very difficult to change her determination, but at last he succeeded in doing so But only for a week mind I will only put it off for a week Clayton And I would not do that only as you say he would rush off at once to Sir Cradock, and I must give you time to take your father at the very best opportunity. And when will that be, my sweet Prime Minister, in your most sage opinion? Why, of course, on my dear love's birthday next week, when all those rejoicings are to be at his brother's becoming of age. The young lady meant no mischief at all, but her lover did not look gracious my brother oh yes to be sure my brother and i dreamed last night that i was the elder he used to talk about giving me half but i haven't heard much of that lately as for my majority as the lawyers are pleased to call it nobody cares two straws for that all my life i shall be a minor yes somebody cares for it darling and more than all the hundreds put together who will shout and hurrah for your brother and she looked at him fondly from her heart. What a hot little partisan! The whole of that heart was now with Clayton, and he felt its strength by sympathy. So he lifted her hand to his lips as a cavalier does in a picture. For the moment, all selfish regrets lost their way in the great wide world of love. And my fealty shall be to you, he cried, kneeling half in play before her. You are my nightly fee and fortune my castle my lands and my home They had stopped at a point where two forest paths met and the bushes fell back a little and the last of the autumn sunset Glanced through the pales of a moss-grown gate The mark whereby some royalty or right of chase was limited kneeling there clayton Nowell looked so courtly and gentle with the bowered light of the west half saddening his happy affectionate countenance that his newly betrothed must needs stoop graciously and kiss his uncovered forehead while clayton was admiring secretly the velvet of her lips back she leaped as if stung by a snake then proudly stood confronting clayton sprang up to defend her but there was no antagonist all he saw was a man on horseback passing silently over the turf behind a low bank crowned with fern Here a narrow track scarce visible saved the traveller some few yards Subtending as it did the angle where the two paths met Clayton could not see the horse for the thick brake fern eclipsed him But he felt that nag was rather tired and getting sad about supper time the rider seemed to be making a face Intended to express the most abstract philosophy possible and superlunary contemplation Any rabbit skilled in physiognomy would have come out of his hole again quite reassured thereby a Short man he was and apparently one meant by his mother for ruddiness and still the brick red of his hair proclaimed some loyalty to her intention but his face was browned and flaked across like a red potato roasting and his little eyes sharp as a glazier's diamond and twinkling now at the zenith belied his absent attitude then as he passed by a shadowy oak which swallowed him up in a moment that oak if it had been duly vocal would have repeated these words well if that ain't the parson's daughter grind me under a curry-stone what a sly minx but devilish pretty you're a deal too soft john rosedew as he passed on towards Knowlehurst, the lovers felt that they had been seen, and perhaps watched ever so long, and then they felt uncomfortable. The young lady was the first to recover presence of mind. She pressed on her glossy round head the hat which had been so long in her left hand, and drawing a long breath, looked point blank at the wondering stare of her sweetheart. Well, Clayton, we may make up our minds for it now. For what I should like to know who cares for that interloping beetroot colored muff He is no muff at all I can tell you but an exceedingly clever man. Do you mean to say you don't know him? Not I from Esau or Ishmael, and he looks like a mixture of both He is dr. Rufus Hutton Clayton indulged in a very long whistle indrawn and not melodious Twas a trick he had learned at Oxford it had long been discarded elsewhere but at both universities still subsists as the solace of newly plucked men the long-drawn sound seems to wind soothingly down the horns of dilemma then the youth jumped up and gathered a nut cracked it between his white front teeth and offered it husk and all without any thought for hygrometry to his beautiful frightened darling she took it as his wife already and picked out the thin shell Piece by piece, anxiously seeking the kernel. He, all the while, with admiration watched the delicate fingers moving, the reflex play of the lissom joints, the spiral thread and varying impress of the convex tips, and the faintly flushing pink beneath the transparency of her nails. Then she laughed and jumped as it proved to be a magnificent double nut, two fat kernels close together, shaped by one another of course she gave him one and of course we know what he did about it i will only state that they very soon forgot all about dr rufus hutton and could scarcely part where the last branch path was quite near to the maiden's window even there where the walks divided when neither could see the other each stepped aside very proud of love's slyness to steal the last of the other's footfall and soon with a blush of intuition each knew that the other was lingering, and each felt ashamed of himself or herself, and loved the other all the more for it. So they broke from the bushes, detected and laughing, to put a good face upon it, and each must go to tell the other how it came about. They kissed once more, for they felt it was right now that the moon was risen. Then home ran both, with a warmth of remembrance and hope glowing in the heart. End of chapter 10